Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is the word of the Lord for us. So it was in January of 1863 that Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. For you history buffs, you know that, you recall that. Um, uh, According to my math, that would be 161 years ago that this was issued, the Emancipation Proclamation. In it, he declared this, all persons held as slaves henceforward shall be set free. Now, this didn't immediately end slavery in our nation. Uh, in, In fact... The Civil War was not even yet halfway over when he issued this. But what the proclamation did was it captured the hearts and the imagination of millions of Americans. It drastically changed the course of the war. What what it did was it galvanized the movement for the abolition of slavery. The the proclamation announced, in in addition, right, I mean, it's a longer thing, it it announced the addition of black men who could then serve in the Union Army. Folks who were once enslaved began fighting for freedom. It's remarkable. It's it's an amazing story. Nearly 200,000 black soldiers fought for the Union in the war effort. And, of course, they prevailed. Why do I mention all that? Because there is power in a proclamation. There is power in a proclamation. It is a declaration, but it's made with conviction and with authority. Oh, not everyone heeds a proclamation, no. It's not instantly, as we just said, it's not instantly and immediately held to. But that's no reason to be silent. That's no reason to hold back. Uh, The U.S. Surgeon General would be an example of someone who issues a proclamation, a warning. So I read read up on that this week. Uh, Really doesn't happen very often, but about every 10 years or so, we get a statement that comes from uh, the nation's top doctor with with a proclamation. It's a warning about some some public uh, health or safety crisis, right? So um, 1964. Some of you were around then, you remember this. It was cigarettes. Cigarette. There was a warning about cigarettes in 1964. Had a huge impact on the rates of smoking in the United States. Did everyone heed the proclamation? <laughs> oh, of course not. We still see people smoking today. In fact, I found this out. Cigarette smoking remains the leading cause of preventable disease and death in the United States today. There was a proclamation that was issued, it was a warning, it was truth, and it made a huge impact curbing the use of cigarettes, and yet it went unheeded largely by many others. 1972, it targeted violence on TV. I'll leave it up to you to determine if there's still any violence on TV. In 1989, it was drunk driving. 2001, it was obesity. 2015, gun violence. 
And in 2023, and I've referred to this in a sermon you may remember, 2023 it was loneliness, what the U.S. Surgeon General called an epidemic of loneliness. So there's still plenty of these that are happening, right? But just imagine if the, if the, the Surgeon General said, well, I know people aren't going to listen to me. I know there are going to be ones who continue to do these things. Uh, they are not going to believe me. They're not going to follow my suggestions. I might as well just keep it to myself. No. We don't expect the U.S. Surgeon General to be silent. We are anticipating and hoping, even wanting that individual to inform the public about danger. And so that's what they do. They issue a proclamation. So friends, maybe you see where I'm going with this. For the follower of Jesus, we are called to proclaim the good news. We are called to to be heralds, to announce it, to share it. To issue these proclamations, but so often, what do we do? We talk ourselves out of it. They're not going to listen to me. They're they're never going to accept this. They're never going to respond in faith. They're too far gone. They won't believe. They won't change. And, And listen, it's not our job to convince anyone. It's our job to proclaim the good news. And I shared that with you in this moment of transparency like a few weeks ago, where I was like, here's my goal for preaching today. And it was like... My goal is to, is to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. <laughs> uh, my goal, I, I, I don't have to try to convince you, oh, please follow Jesus, oh, oh, please do this, please do that, behavior modification. Proclaim Christ. Proclaim Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and then you know what you do? You leave it in God's hands. So the very first followers of Jesus we're tasked with this exact same thing. Like the mission of the church has remained the same since the day he ascended. And they stood there, mouths agape, looking upward. Uh, he's gone. The very first believers were tasked with this exact same thing. Will you proclaim what you know to be true? I mean, there was this swirl of activity and emotion. Like Jesus calls them to follow him. We see that in the Gospels. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He, they, they journey with him, they do ministry, they're traveling and teaching and healing people and doing miracles. For three years they do this. But then Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. He's placed in the tomb. He is dead. He is gone. But by the power of God on the third day, he was resurrected. Back to life. And then he ascended into heaven. And so then in Acts chapter 1, which we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today, so if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says to the disciples, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. He's saying, here's your task. You're going to proclaim what you've seen. You've witnessed these things. Now you're going to share about it. You're going to tell about it. And don't be afraid and don't think you have to conjure it all up because the Holy Spirit will be with you. That's what we're going to talk about today. So we're starting a brand new sermon series. It's called Proclaim. And we are looking at proclamation. So there are seven sermons from the book of Acts, from the early church, that we're going to be looking at. Uh, These are preached by guys like Peter and Paul and James. And they're the very first sermons that were preached by the believers, the early church. So we're going to begin with the first one today. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. I serve as lead pastor 
thrilled that you are with us today. It's a great day. God has so many good things in store. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So the first proclamation we're looking at, it can be summed up in the title of the sermon this morning, and it is the resurrection of Jesus. That's the first proclamation, the, the primary message that was shared. The crucifixion and subsequent resurrection, it's called the passion, right? The passion of Christ. This is the first sermon that the early church preached. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to recognize this morning that the resurrection is primary, it is critical, it is crucial, it is a central part of your faith, what you believe and your relationship with the risen Christ. So it's not just an Easter thing. The, the, the resurrection, it's not just a once a year you go, oh, that's right. He burst out of the tomb. That's right. Death couldn't keep its hold on him. No, it's an everyday thing. That Christ is resurrected. I, I do think, and, and I, I, don't, I don't criticize the church very often, but I do think there are times where in the church, the imagery we use too often has Jesus on the cross. Too often, it's, it's he's, He's like stuck on the cross. He's there on the cross. And, and yes, the, the passion includes the crucifixion of Christ, the shed blood of Jesus. That's part of the good news, but without the resurrection. Uh, he wasn't the only one crucified that day. Without the resurrection, we don't have the hope of eternal life with him. So, so really, friends, we need to focus on and, and remember and recall not just the crucifixion of our Lord but the resurrection as well. And so that's really what we're going to be focusing on today. So turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, let, me, let me just paraphrase a little bit uh, the, the opening verses in Acts chapter 2. Like, just as Jesus said would happen in Acts 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples. This great wind rushes in. It's loud. It's noisy. It's terrifying. And they begin to speak in tongues. This is Pentecost. This is, a, this is an event in church history known as Pentecost. And a huge crowd gathered. Really, they gathered from all over. They were there from one of, one of the three uh, pilgrimage festivals. So they had gathered uh, God-fearing Jews from all across the known world were gathered in Jerusalem at that time. There's a huge crowd of people that are there. And they come from different people groups and language groups. And they're hearing in their own language. They're each hearing it in their own language. And they were amazed. And some of them then began to make fun of the disciples for what they were doing, this speaking in tongues thing. Uh, and they accused them of being drunk. So verse 13, Acts chapter 2, some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. So let me put this in, con in historical context. This has been 10 days since the ascension of Jesus. So the church has had a week and a half <laughs> to be the church and to figure out, what are we going to do? Jesus is now gone. Our leader just left us. And he said he was going to give us his spirit, and he called us to be witnesses, to, to proclaim the things we've seen. So it's been 10 days since the ascension. And my guess is that they were tempted to just hush up. Like, this whole story is pretty radical, guys. I mean, let's just, 
let's just zip it, right? What are, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do here? We're gonna say our leader who was killed isn't dead anymore. Oh, and if they ask where he is, then we're gonna say, right, um, well, he rode up to the sky on a cloud. You think maybe they were tempted to just kind of hush up? <laughs> maybe they were tempted to like, let's just keep this to ourselves and kind of figure it out. Let, let's, let's kind of talk amongst ourselves. And yet, that's not what the Lord had told them to do. And so, I want to jump straight to application in, in your life and mine. There are always going to be people who ridicule us for our faith. There are going to be people who, who laugh at you and who make fun of you for your choice to walk in obedience to Christ. Why would you do it that way? Why wouldn't you cheat here? Why wouldn't you say that? It's because I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and following Jesus, it's never going to be popular. Walking in obedience to God's ways, it's never going to be the way. It's never going to be the cool way, the way that most people are thinking and operating. It's like, go, it's like swimming upstream. Following Jesus is a radical choice to go the opposite direction. There are always going to be people who ridicule us for our faith. And so if you're a high school student, you know, it might be really tempting for you to say, I'm just going to leave my Bible at home. Like, I'm probably not going to have time to open it during the school day. I'll just leave that at home. Or when there's that class discussion, whether it's high school or, or college, I'm just going to keep my opinion to myself because I can tell, I can tell these people don't think the way I think. Because you have a biblical worldview. You have a Christ-centered view of life and, and eternity and theology and ethics and values, like all of those things. So, so the tempting uh, way is to say, I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm just going to keep quiet. Or maybe you're invited to go somewhere to something, and you know you're, you're not going to go. That would break your conviction. That's, that's, not, that's not what you're about. It's like, hey, how come you're not joining us? And it's an opportunity to say, well, I'm really glad you asked. Let me just share with you. I have a relationship with God through Christ, and I'm following his plan and his way. And so I don't believe he wants me to be a part of something like that. There are always going to be ones who are going to make fun of, who are going to ridicule. But will we share? Will we proclaim? It might be in your workplace. It might be in your family. Don't allow naysayers to silence you. I, again, let's go back to the early church. I think this really could have crushed the enthusiasm of those first disciples, don't you? Like right off the bat, the Holy Spirit comes. He's doing great things. They can't deny it. This is a movement of God. And yet, here are people making fun of them. Ah, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So they weren't going to back down, and they weren't going to be quiet, and they weren't going to try to hide it, and they weren't going to squelch it. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, listen to me, you will choose obedience to Christ. That, that is the way your life goes. When you avail yourself to him and you have a spirit-filled life, you will walk in obedience to his ways. To the world, to their ridicule, you say, come what may. <laughs> and so here's what happens, Acts chapter 2, Peter, uh, and, and you know probably from your study of the Gospels and, and Jesus and life and ministry that he's got 
this follower named Peter who's just like kind of out there. He's like the loudest one. He's like the most brash one. He's the one that's like, oh, why did you say that? What? <laughs> so, of course, you know, the disciples are together and this whole thing happens and all of a sudden they hear, <clears throat> oh, Peter's going to, I got this, guys. Peter steps up, clears his throat and preaches. So let's go to, let's, uh, let's go to verse 14. Here's the proclamation. Well, it begins here. It really takes up the, the bulk of, of Acts chapter 2. We'll get through as much of it as we can in the time that we have. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. Like, just to start off with, you're wrong. <laughs> Be quiet, listen up, I'm going to bring it to you. He knew it was time to speak up. Like, like the, the Apostle Paul is later going to teach in Romans chapter 14, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Like God is going to give you favor when you step into that place filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim that which you know to be true. Don't allow that which you know is good to be spoken of as evil. So this was a movement of the Holy Spirit, and it was time for Peter to say, no, 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 stop the making fun of and pointing out and saying this is drunkenness. It's not. It's of God. He knew it was time to speak up. And man, you know when it's time to speak up too. When someone's getting picked on and made fun of? You got this feeling in your stomach. You know it's time to speak up. When there's a group of people and there's someone not present and all of a sudden everyone's talking about that person that's not there. And your face starts to get a little flushed. And your palms start to get a little sweaty. Why is that? It's because you know it's time to speak up. To say, no, I really value that person. They have a lot to contribute. If it's a group of believers, God forbid, it's time to say, shame on you. This is gossip. This is slander. You know when it's time to speak up. So, so be bold. And, and, and open your mouth and do the things that God leads you to do. Peter has this way of, of addressing the crowd, too, where he brings them the truth, he brings it boldly, but he also connects with them right where they are, right? He, he wins favor with this crowd of people, even though he says, hey, you're wrong, right from the start. And, and you think about Jesus and the way he taught and how he spoke in, he so often spoke in parables, and he explained things in a way that people are like, okay, I understand that. I understand agriculture. I understand fishing. I understand searching for something that I lost in my house. Like, he had a way of sharing truths in a way that people could understand and relate to. And so, Peter is addressing, remember, this is a crowd of God-fearing Jews. 
These are the ones who have obeyed what is written in the Old Testament books of the law that says three times a year you must travel uh, to the festival and, and participate in this feast. So if there's one thing they know, it's the Hebrew scriptures. If there's one thing this group of people knows, it's, it's like the Bible at that time, which was the Old Testament. So what does he do? Verse 16, he draws from the prophet Joel. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So what he's doing is he's explaining the scene that's unfolding before them. The Holy Spirit has come and filled these disciples and he's saying, Joel foretold that this was going to happen. This is a movement of God. This is an outpouring of the Spirit of God. So he meets his audience right where they are and speaks to them in levels they can understand. And church, do we have that sort of working knowledge of the Bible? He didn't say to them, hey, I heard your mockery and I heard that you're accusing us of certain things. Now, give me an hour so I can go Google what Bible verses might apply to this situation. Or even, let me just turn away, open my smartphone Bible app. I mean, he knew the scriptures. And he was able to say, what did Joel prophesy and foretell? And, and then he goes on to quote uh, David from Psalm 16, Psalm 110. He speaks to them using the scriptures that they understand to explain what is happening. And so they go, oh, that's right. Oh, so Joel did foretell that... God's spirit would be poured out and people would prophesy. King David did say in Psalm 16, he talked about the Messiah and how he wouldn't see decay or death. He had the Old Testament. So this is before the New Testament was written. He had the Old Testament. He knew it. He used it. He drew on it to preach that day. He was able to share the truth because he knew what the Bible says. So I'm challenged by that. And I want to encourage each of us as well that we would know the scriptures, we would know the truth of scriptures, and when that situation arises, and we've got that knowledge that God wants us to proclaim it, we say we know the truth. And here's what the scriptures say. All right, let's go to verse 22. We're in Acts chapter 2. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited, accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. And they're going, oh yeah, that's right. Yep, we did do that, didn't we? But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And so he speaks clearly of the passion of the Christ, Jesus, nailed to the cross, but <laughs> death couldn't keep its hold on him. I want to just encourage us this morning, in the days that lie ahead, in your journey with Christ, will you look for opportunities to share about the things that God is doing? Will you look for opportunities to proclaim God's goodness in your own life? 
the places where you see God at work. You know, I think we're this close sometimes. But we need to give credit where credit is due. And so instead of, wow, that's amazing. Instead, let's say, wow, let me tell you what my God can do. Let me tell you what the creator of the cosmos is, is able to accomplish, what he did, the way he worked it out. And so what we have here is six times in just eight sentences, Peter specifically names God as the one who is at work in this situation, in, in the passion of Christ. So verse 22, Jesus was accredited by God, and through him God did miracles, signs, and wonders. So that's two of them. Verse 23, he was handed over by what? God's deliberate plan. And then in verse 24, and it's actually repeated again down in verse 32, it was God who raised him from the dead. So here's, here's what Peter is doing. He's not just saying, wow, you'll never believe it. Some guy that was dead is now alive. He's saying, here's what God did. God is the one who did it. Six times in this passage, he specifically points to God. And then the other one is down in verse 36. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So again, in context here, what's happening at Pentecost is something supernatural, out of the ordinary, and people are wondering what's going on. If not for the, the loud sounds of nature with the wind, then certainly with the speaking in tongues and the tongues of fire that were above them. Like this is, this is a, a curious event that's unfolding, and the people that were there took note, and they were wondering. They were amazed. In the same way, when we see people who are inquisitive, who are curious, who, who are wondering. We need to be prepared with an answer. Oh, that's God at work. That's God. He's the one who did that. He's the one who orchestrated that. He's the one who is able to do those things. And so the disciples for, for 10 days had been telling people, about how they saw the resurrected Jesus and his ascension. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, which we don't have time to get into today, but supplemental reading, 1 Corinthians 15. Take note of that. Uh, it's, it's Paul's New Testament teaching on the resurrection and the imports of it. But in, in that uh, chapter, he gives a list of those who saw Jesus after his resurrection. So after G the resurrected Christ, he gives a list of those who saw it's over 500 people. So Peter, as he issues this proclamation about the resurrected Christ, he's not the only one who has seen Jesus. He has many others who are part of it as well. So if we look at verse 32, Peter says very clearly, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Like, you can ask this guy. You can ask that lady. You can ask that one. Like, we all saw it. We can all attest to it. We all have the same story. But again, the, the emphasis and the focus is on God is the one who did this. Give credit where credit is due. So as we proclaim Christ, we do the exact same thing. Here's what I've seen. Acts 1.8, we shall be his witnesses. Here's what I've seen. Here's what God has done. 
here's what I have experienced. Like, no one can take your testimony. No one can refute your testimony. I was once blind, but now I see. I'm now healed. I'm now whole. I'm forgiven. I love the story of Jesus healing the blind man in John chapter 9. So this man who was blind, he can now see. And the Pharisees come on the scene, and they just keep badgering him. They're like, how did this happen? Who healed you? Where did he come from? Who are you? Why did this happen? By what power did this occur? And the guy is like this kind of just very simple dude who's excited because now he can see. He doesn't have the answers to their questions. And then finally, he says to the Pharisees who are peppering him with these questions, he says, I don't know who he is. Here's what I know. I know one thing. I was blind. Now I can see. Read that, read that passage as well, John chapter 9. It's just a hilarious story because he infuriates the Pharisees. He, he starts to actually make fun of them where he's like, oh, why is it that you want to know so much about him? Do you want to be one of his followers? He says, I don't have the answers to all of your questions. And there are times where we don't either. But here's what I can attest to. I know Jesus and he has set me free. I am now transformed because of him. This guy says, I don't know. But I was blind. Yes, I'm the guy who couldn't see from birth. But now I can see. We don't always have all the answers, but we can speak of what he has done. And the cool thing in the John chapter 9 story is Jesus actually goes in search of that guy. He's like, wait, where'd that guy go? I want to find him. He, go, he goes, Jesus hunts this guy down, finds him, has an encounter with him, and reveals who he is to the man, and the man believes. And I have a feeling that from that point on, when that man, who was formerly blind, is questioned about his healing, he doesn't say, I don't know. He says, oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let me tell you who healed me and by what power. And so I just want to share that it is your testimony that God uses to impact those around you. What has God done in your life? What is God doing today? And would you be willing to share that with others? So let's pick it back up. I, I want to finish our study here in Acts chapter 2. Uh, it, let's jump to verse 36. So Peter is, is preaching this sermon on the resurrection of Christ. He says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, catch this, The promise is for you, and your children, and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. That's them. That's us. That's people for all time. Verse 40. With many other words, he warned them. So there are parts of his sermon that we don't have. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 chose to believe, chose to join the movement. Why? Why, why did the church ju just grow exponentially 10 days after the ascension? It was because Peter was willing to proclaim what he had witnessed. 
That's the power of a proclamation. And that's what God wants to do in and through us. He wants us to proclaim that which we know to be true, that which we've seen. He wants us to proclaim, oh yeah, Jesus died, but on the third day, by the power of God, he was resurrected. And when, when Peter does that, n- notice that in that last section we read, when Peter does that, God moved on the hearts of those listening. God moved on their hearts and they immediately say, oh, what should we do? How do we respond? Peter says, uh, well, repent. <laughs> you, you've been living for yourself. Start living for Christ. You've been walking in sin. You, you're a slave to sin. It's time to be a servant of Christ and be baptized. Put on display for the whole world that you're making this choice. I'm going to follow Jesus. That's exactly the same what it, what it means for you and I today. And, and maybe you're here today and you haven't been walking with Christ. Maybe life has been about you. And as you hear the proclamation of hope for eternity and a life lived with Christ, today is the day where you say, you know what? I want to repent. I want to turn from from my old ways and start living a new life. This is what it means. This is the call to follow Jesus, my friends. This is the call. Turn from our old life from our old ways, from our sin, from the broad road that most people are on. See Matthew chapter 7 in the words of our Lord Jesus there in verse 14. The broad road that leads to destruction, and that's where most people are. He he pleads with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And saving ourselves, I'm going to be cautious there because like, this doesn't happen because of our, our ingenuity, our might, our will. We simply choose to turn to him in faith. Like a child, Jesus says. We, we, we turn to him in very sincere faith. I believe you, I trust you. And he says in verse 38, he, he gives this promise that God is going to empower us with the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, when the Holy Spirit fills your life, you walk in obedience to Christ. What that means is you walk the narrow road. Jesus says, very few find it. And that road leads to life. And as you walk that narrow road empowered by the Holy Spirit, you grow in your faith. You grow in your love for the Lord. You you begin to treat other people as you yourself would like to be treated. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Again, you don't just say, I want to be a better person and treat others more nicely. You say, God, my life is is for you. I repent of my old ways and I give myself to you. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And what comes out of that is the fruit of a life lived in Christ, empowered by the Spirit. So very briefly, as we uh, close our time together, what I want to do with the the rest of our time together, these last few minutes is share three things the resurrection teaches us about our amazing God. What does the resurrection teach us? The first is the resurrection shows God's power. We sang it this morning. He has no equal. He has no rival. Nothing can defeat him. Nothing is too difficult for him. The words of our Lord Jesus, with God, all things are possible. There is power in the name of Jesus. Through him, The power of God is on display. Through the resurrection, we see God's mighty hand at work. He's the one who can perform the signs and the miracles. Jesus is the one who, by the power of God, walked on water, does the things that we cannot do. 
And really nowhere is his power more on display than in the resurrection. Because it was more than just life given to a dead body. It was defeating the stronghold of death and sin and Satan and hell. Nowhere is the power of God more on display than in the resurrection of Christ. That on that third day, by the power of God, the scriptures said, he was raised back to life. Because he was that perfect sacrificial lamb. Only Jesus could have been the one to pay the price for our sins and be resurrected to live forevermore as King of kings and Lord of lords because he was perfect. He was sinless. He was blameless. And now, what good news. (laughs) Humanity can be atoned for. We can be back in relationship with God our Creator through his Son Jesus as we put our faith in the risen Christ. It's his power, my friends, that transforms sinners into saints. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, Paul says. So, secondly, the resurrection shows God's plan. So, God revealed this plan through the prophets. Uh, We did a study of Genesis last year. You may recall Genesis chapter 12. God revealed it and explained it to Abraham uh, back in Genesis chapter 12 when he chose him to be a special people. Even going back further into Genesis chapter 3, he told the serpent that an offspring of the woman will crush your head. So like this was God's plan. Jesus said it would happen. And there is no disputing the historical Jesus. Jesus is not a fairy tale. It's not a made-up story. It's not an allegory. Jesus was, in fact, a real person. He came to fulfill God's plan to redeem creation. He was born. He lived. He died a gruesome death on the cross. And yes, he rose from the dead. So the resurrection shows God's plan. And then one third thing that we learn from the resurrection is it shows God's presence. And really what I mean by that is that, that Christ is alive today. That he is alive and well. He, yes, has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. And he has given his spirit to us to guide us to comfort us, to be with us. So God is indeed at work in the world. He's present. He's actively involved. He's not aloof. He's not uh, far away. He's present. He's near. He sees what's happening in the world. He sees what's happening in your life, and he cares. I mean, think about what good care God takes of the birds and sparrows. And Jesus says, ah, he's, how much more is he going to take care of you? The resurrection shows God's presence. The, the grave couldn't hold Christ. He is alive. He is actively involved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. We'll, we'll learn that in a subsequent sermon. And he's coming again. So, church, what a great challenge we have. Will we proclaim the good news of Jesus? Will we walk into all of the places that God has placed us and sent us? Sharing this good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Set free from the bondage of sin. Wow. Released from the grip of hell. Why? Because of what God did. Wow, it's almost like it's an emancipation proclamation. 
It's even better than the first. This is even better than the original. This is the ultimate emancipation proclamation. Freedom in Christ. And so, friends, will you join me in proclaiming this to the world that so desperately needs it? A world steeped in darkness. Will you help me to proclaim this to those who are seeking and those who are searching, to those who are hurting, to those who are spiritually blind? To proclaim this to those who have been rejected and cast out and pushed away and unwanted and unloved. You are loved and there is a place for you. Will you help me in proclaiming this to those who are proud and self-reliant? They've got it all figured out and they don't seem to need a savior. Will you share what the Lord has done in your life? Will you be a witness to the things you've seen God doing? What is it that God is doing in the world? What do you see? And then share that freely and openly. I want to close with Romans 1, 16 and 17. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this good news that we've learned about in the scriptures. Thank you for the boldness of Peter and the early church 10 days into this journey, willing to step forward and say, listen to me. I want to share what God has done. I want to speak clearly of Jesus of Nazareth, who is indeed the Messiah. And so God, I pray specifically this week, would you give us boldness? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? that we live lives surrendered to you and on mission with you to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. We pray these things only in his precious name.